welcome to Aqua Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. Thanks for tuning in for this uh, somewhat special uh, bonus pod uh, for, for Onco Farm. Today is September 15, 2018. It is World Marrow Donor Day, uh, commemorating and bringing awareness to uh, stem cell donors. Um, and I'll be talking with a someone who has donated, donated hematopoietic stem cells today. And that person is... Uh, it's me, John Mazar, Associate Professor, ETSU College of Pharmacy. Um, so I just wanted to kind of tell my story, uh, not to, you know, because I did anything great or anything good, uh, just to, to raise awareness of what the, the process looks like to donating stem cells from a donor's perspective and how, you know, relatively simple and painless it is with hopes that as a listener, you yourself will uh, will put your name into the registry to be a donor if uh, if the typing matches, or um, even go a step further and start a registry drive at uh, your local institution to try and get more people registered, uh, because it can be life saving, and ultimately that's why we all went into this career. So a couple things uh, as we go forward. Um, I'm going to use the term BMT for bone marrow transplant, and really hematopoietic stem cell transplant is uh, the, the more appropriate term, but BMT is maybe more familiar and certainly easier to say than HSCT, uh, at least in podcast form. So how did this happen? Well, um, during my residency training, I took care of a lot of bone marrow transplant patients, more patients uh, undergoing bone marrow transplants than I did patients with colon cancer. Um, but that was just the nature of my training program and where the strength of the program was. And I remember seeing one patient um, undergoing leukapheresis to donate stem cells while I was there. So I knew a lot more uh, after training about what it is like for a patient to receive um, stem cells and to care for them and all the, the post-transplant complications that go along with that uh, versus what it's actually like for the donor. Uh, and then after residency, I took my uh, position here at uh, the Gatton College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State University. been here ever since. And one of uh, probably the second class of students that I taught oncology to in the classroom, uh, one of the students' dad developed uh, acute myeloid leukemia um, during that semester. Uh, he went off and got a bone marrow transplant and was subsequently cured. He got And he got an allogeneic stem cell transplant, which of course means the stem cells came from somebody else as opposed to an autologous bone marrow transplant where the stem cells came from uh, the patient with cancer themselves. Uh, so then he came back and he uh, organized a bone marrow registry drive. Uh, so he came up uh, during a, a different, not the oncology portion of class, but uh, a different class uh, and asked me, kind of in front of everyone, putting me on the spot to, to see, would you donate? And I was like, of course. So all it took was uh, a buckle swab. He just kind of unscrewed um, uh, this little, uh, you know, basically a fancy cotton swab, uh, swabbed the inside of my mouth back and forth several times, put it back into a tube, then it went in an envelope and was, was mailed off. And that was the end of it. And, you know, I talked about how uh, bone marrow transplants could not only cure patients with leukemia and lymphoma, but also other diseases like aplastic anemia, uh, maybe even HIV and some other uh, um, rarer diseases even than, than cancer. And then the years go by, I didn't hear anything back from it. Um, 
Uh, oh, I should back up. So besides filling out the, besides doing the swab, you have to fill out a lot of information, like every every phone number you have, every email address you have, like every <laughs> contact information for like next of kin and things like that. So that if you move cross country and a decade decade later, uh, you're a match and you could you know your stem cells could potentially cure somebody. Uh, That'd be devastating if they could not contact you because you you know you changed your cell phone number uh, or changed your email address and no one can find you. So you put down a lot of contact information. Okay. So anyway, you, a lot of contact information. You you send in your buckle swab, uh, and then you wait. And you know most patients or most donors or most people on the registry, I should say, most registrants, I think is the term. Most registrants, 99% will not be contacted, will not be matched. It's only one percent or 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 um, even less than 1% who are a match and, and then are then candidates uh, or interested or uh, are not interested, are wanted uh, for donors. So anyway, I get a random call from, uh, I think it was a 212 uh, area code on my cell phone during rounds and I just kind of let it ring because it's I don't know anybody in New York. Um, at the time I didn't know anybody in New York and then the voicemail says that this is delete blood cancer center uh, calling about um, you know a match and I'm like whoa so um, I call them back right away and they say that you know you have been matched as being a potential donor for somebody um, are you still willing and then they said okay what we'd like to do now is to set up a time to talk to you to set aside like 30 minutes just to make sure you know everything that goes into this so they go through everything that you know this could happen and this could happen and uh, almost like a, a version of informed consent basically uh, now it wasn't written informed consent uh, that would happen later uh, so anyway I was like yeah yeah you know I, I let them do their thing I kind of know what's involved with it uh, based on being an oncology pharmacist um, but the first thing that you know once I'm willing to go forward with this is I go to a local lab and have blood drawn because they need to make sure that I don't have some sort of you know communicable or infectious disease that then could be passed on uh, to the recipient of my stem cells and then I flew out to the uh, the collection site. So this is where uh, they would actually collect my stem cells and had a physical exam with a nurse practitioner there to make sure that I was healthy enough to donate stem cells. And I was, so I was happy about that. And then they're like, well, you know, this, this the, the collection could happen kind of any week. So, you know, try not to make any big plans that you're going to be out of town. Uh, do you have any vacations coming up? I said, no. Um, so anyway. Uh, I just went back and waited and waited and waited and got a call saying just wanted you to know again from uh, Delete Blood Cancer Center, which was kind of organizing the whole thing. It wasn't directly a hospital. This was an organization that helps uh, arrange the the transplant process and the the donor collection process. So I finally uh, hear back saying you know the patient is not uh, is not ready. He's not in a condition to go forward with transplant. So this is on hold. And knowing what I know, I'm like, oh, this is not good. This means this guy or this girl uh, or this patient, you know, probably has had disease progression. Uh, you know, you want someone to have, uh, you know, disease that's responsive to chemo before a transplant. Uh, otherwise, the transplant's not going to go very well. So I'm thinking, oh, this person's progressed. You know, they're probably going on to, uh, you know, another salvage regimen or at least an initial salvage regimen. Um, and if that works, then maybe they'd be a candidate for transplant. So I kind of forgot about this. And maybe a year later, I get contacted. Same thing. Um, same patient, apparently. 
so then it's been more than a year, and I think maybe the cutoff is six months. So I had to go back and have all the blood work done again to make sure I hadn't caught some strange infection in the last six months. And then, uh, you know, that all checks out, you know, so that was reassuring. I didn't have some sort of odd virus or infection I didn't know about. Um, and then we get word that it's a go, it's, you know, green light. And so um, I am prescribed uh, uh, filgrastim, 10 micrograms per kilogram, which is a double dose from what you would typically use for filgrastim. The dose, say, for neutropenic fever uh, would be 5 micrograms per kilogram. So a double dose of filgrastim. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I go somewhere that, that's given to me. Uh, it's, it's for five days. I do four days here. And the fifth dose was actually uh, at the collection site. And, you know, I, I, this is what I teach in, in class is that the, the most common side effect for, for white blood cell growth factors, for GCSF, filgrastim, pec, filgrastim, whatever, is bone pain. And at least for me, um, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't real painful, but it felt like in my tailbone, um, just a fullness, and uh, which makes sense because you know there's an expand, a rapid expansion of, of stem cells there in in our bones. I didn't feel it in my hips or anywhere else. Uh, we've had patients that complain of it in their their sternum or or some of their long bones, but for me it was in my tailbone, and didn't really bother me during the day. I kept working, you know, I didn't take time off or anything, um, but. Uh, you know, at night, it was just kind of this dull achiness, and it, I ended up having to take some acetaminophen for it, and that that helped. I was able to sleep. So the pain was bad enough that I couldn't sleep, uh, although I, I never would have called it pain. It was just like a, a, a fullness, uh, maybe an achiness. Um, so that was, that's my experience with bone pain. Uh, so I do the four doses here at home uh, or in a, in a local clinic, and then uh, the fifth day, I get up bright and early, go to the airport, Fly out to the um, fly out to a different city. Get in a cab. Actually, there was a car waiting for me. You know, like a black sedan waiting for me. I felt very important. Uh, they whisked me off to the cancer center where they give me the next. You know, my last dose of filgrastim. Uh, another quick physical exam, baseline labs, and then they hook me up to leukapheresis. Uh, so I'm hooked up to this uh, machine for four hours with. Um, uh, you know, a needle in both arms, one of which was small, one of which was very big, and was painful anytime I moved my arm. But I had my iPad with me, was able to watch a movie. Um, they offered me, you want something to sleep? Do you want, we can give you some Ativan. You want, you want to, you want to just sleep this thing away? I was like, no, I'd, I'd like to kind of, to be here for the whole, the whole process. Um, but it was just boring sitting there for four hours, watched a couple movies, no big deal. Um, the, the worst part of the whole experience was being connected, um, having an IV in two arms, and then um, having consumed too much coffee in the morning, uh, having to, to uh, use the restroom uh, with an IV in both hands, or, or hooked up to leukapheresis. Um, one thing they also told me before I flew out was to bring some Tums with you. Um, because patients uh, tend to have a low calcium when they're doing this. And I was like, okay, fine. And I brought the Tums and didn't think anything of it. And I did not put this together till like a year later um, when I, I was going through the bag that I took and I found this thing at Tums. And, and then I realized that while I was doing st stem cells, during the leukapheresis process, I noticed some numbness around my mouth. And it just so happened that a year later I had just taught some lecture on electrolyte abnormalities and that hypocalcemia can cause orofacial numbness. And I realized that I had had that 
during leucophoresis, and that was why that I had been instructed to bring these tums that I never took, and if I had, probably would have helped me, um, helped me prevent from prevented me from having that numbness. Uh, so anyway, after four hours, you know, uh, the doctor comes in and looks at this, and just out of curiosity, I explained, uh, you know, what I did for a living as an oncology pharmacist. I was interested, you know, do you know where where this is going? I was told that, you know, after a year, if things go well, and I agreed, and the recipient agreed that we could maybe meet and get to know each other. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of curious because, you know, this person is a match. This person has a similar HLA typing to me, so maybe, you know, a, maybe even a shared ancestor or something like that. So it turns out this person was, uh, all, all that the physician would tell me was the patient was from Europe, so this wasn't even going to somewhere else in the United States. My stem cells were going across across the pond, uh, and based on, you know, my heritage, my mom's side is what we call Scots-Irish here, my dad's side is German and Dutch, so it made sense that it was going somewhere in Northern Europe. Uh, but I have not heard anything from the recipient. I don't know how it went whether it went good, whether it went well or bad, I, I, I do not know. Uh, at the end of the uh, leukophoresis session, they, they put my bag of stem cells, which looks kind of yellow, and then a bag of blood that, that um, they said, you know, in the whole process, we end up basically collecting a pint of blood that we can donate. So there's a picture of me, uh, and I'll share this on Twitter after donation. For those of you who, who know me and see me on a semi-regular basis, I, I, I sport a beard now. This is, this is pre-beard, so I don't quite look like myself, in my opinion. Um, but there's a picture of me with a goofy grin on my face after donating my stem cells and a pint of blood. And uh, donating a pint of blood um, is important to this story because I missed my flight, my connecting flight in Atlanta, which if you fly through Atlanta frequently, it's hard to make that connecting flight oftentimes. So uh, my departing flight um, was late. So I, I landed in Atlanta, uh, you know, only 30 minutes or 20 minutes before the next flight, my flight home was to leave, and I'm running through the airport, running through ATL, and I'm an avid runner. You know, I run four to five miles several times a week, so I'm an avid runner, and I don't get very winded when I run. But after donating a pint of blood, man, I was so winded. Um, so there's, there's certainly a difference with what an acute drop in hemoglobin will do to you than a chronic drop. Uh, so I was pretty short of breath. Uh, had to, you know, had to get a hotel for the night. Um, and up to this point, everything had been paid for by um, the, the Delete Blood Cancer Center. I hadn't to pay for anything out of pocket, but, but they didn't know that I was stranded because it was 11 o'clock, not 11 o'clock, but it was like 9 o'clock at night by this point. Uh, so I had to pay for a hotel by myself. I'd only packed a bag for a day, so I didn't have a change of clothes. I had to sleep in my clothes, um, waking up the next morning, not feeling too great, get a ride to the airport from a taxi, get home early in the morning. Um, but... Throughout the whole process, I did not have to pay for a thing, um, any receipts for food, uh, for coffee in the morning, for the hotel that I had to pay in my pocket. All that stuff was reimbursed at the end of the whole ordeal. Ordeal is a bad word. The end of the whole, uh, the whole experience. I, you know, I was out zero dollars. It didn't cost me, didn't cost me a dime. Um, so, it was easy. It was relatively painless and uh, potentially saved a life. Uh, and I would do it over again in a heartbeat if I had the opportunity. So my challenge to the listeners, if you're in the United States, go to bethematch.org. If you're outside the United States, you know, uh, Google it or, or use whatever search engine uh, you prefer and find out how you can be a match and maybe go a step further and, and, and start a registry drive. It's pretty easy to do, pretty easy to send in. 
uh, buckle swabs for folks and um, you know you might just be responsible in helping save a life so uh, for world marrow donor day uh, thanks for thanks for listening and I hope to see you all a little further down the road Thank you.